Hello, it's Paul again. Did you know we have another actual play podcast, Chaos Children, with episodes already produced and published exclusively for our Patreon subscribers? Not only is that show ridiculously fun, but it also has an intro that slaps about as hard as this one. Get your hands up for Dark Nexus, Chapter 44. Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act 2, Chapter 44. We're picking up on the afternoon of the 4th of Neth. Nine chapters into Act 2 here, and we're still on essentially our first day. That's the, that's the way of it sometimes, isn't it? Busy day, though, so far. Productive day. And thanks to the scene you made upon your return from Jane's cave, you have every reason to believe that your initial attempts at outreach to the Thrushmore community to maybe quiet one particular fear that the Briarstone Witch is back, or to begin a process of changing some views on how you should be perceived, perhaps those seeds have been planted. Just like another seed has been planted. Inside your frickin' brains. Yeah, we're all part of Jamador now. (laughs) Just a little reminder. I mean, the shock of violent penetration and unconsenting mental intimacy is passing now. Uh, Dora's got an extreme itch. It's really, really uncomfortable, but that's about it at the moment. And the three fellows, they don't feel too much yet. But it's growing up in there. And as you scan about, as you lock eyes with the people on the Selen Starling, as you see Skywind or Nasa, or little Brenton, or Jared, you do occasionally find yourself just wondering, just wondering what it would feel like to say a certain name aloud to them. But again, the feeling's faint right now. Uh, Again, it's the afternoon. We were exhausted and burnt out from a long morning of some pretty intense fighting. Level 4 hasn't had the sheer volume of fights that level 3 did, but each of the fights in this level has been a doozy. There is time today before the sun sets and the town closes up and the murders and disappearances presumably start to take care of some stuff if you all would like to. I know you've got plans and ideas. We'll jump into those soon. But first, I want to check in with Katie and the rest of you (laughs) about what we left off with, with the information that Dora just learned and how she and y'all are processing it. There is a wall between Dora and Tima. So Dora's empathy for a woman who has lost her child is intense. It's not personal. Mm-hmm. However, she feels a need to protect the being inside her <laughs> from that memory and has no and, and is realizing she doesn't really have any open line of communication between herself and Tima to gauge if she saw that, how she reacted, if it was a surprise, if she felt anything, if she remembers it, you know? So like there's an intellectual curiosity about it that is balanced by a a humane instinct of empathy towards someone going through that. But it wasn't her little girl. Katie is horrified, but but Dora is, is, um, 
this is information that she needs and compassion that she needs to manage her living situation. Right. <laughs> which she shares with another entity. You talk sometimes about feeling in combat like Tima wants to come out. So mm-hmm. clearly there are, are moments where Dora does feel Tima knocking at the door. Yeah. Does she, does she, but she, those are like intense things. So I, I don't I don't know that she... I don't know that when she's in that state of performing one of these psychometry readings, mm-hmm. if she is able to attune to that. But like in the so in much the heat of her of focus combat, is on this yeah. other thing. Okay. So in the heat of combat, when there's threats from every angle, she can she is really in tune with that need to protect the body. She shares it. Yeah. So it's easy, I think, for her to feel like Tima wants a shot at this. That it's that intense, but in that moment of of performing a reading she's really a conduit not not, not part actor, of it not right. an actor in it so she she doesn't know have a sense of Tima's not right now screaming to get out and fix this or deal with it or whatever so she doesn't know I like this idea of Dora being able to hear Tima in those brief moments where their emotions and their experience merge into one they align. need, like mm-hmm. where essentially like two becomes one mm-hmm. and that door opens. Let's see if we can start to find any other, I mean, obviously you're such different people. Yeah. So it seems few and far between that those ch- opportunities would happen. But if there's ever, we were like, hmm, I wonder if at this moment, the I two would are not be surprised if, if there comes a time when like Ray is threatened, right. That um, Dora doesn't feel a sense of what Tima must have felt in that vision. Right. What Tima felt about her child. Yes. You would feel about this person who you don't consider your child, but you have, but I have those very feelings. strong feelings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. What about uh, what about Ray? I, can oh, I ask yeah. a quick question? Mm-hmm. So is this also like the first time that Tima would be aware of this? Was she aware that she had a child before now, or you just don't know anything? Dora doesn't know. Awesome. She certainly knew Ray was her son, referring to him as baby boy, Um, but whether that was because she was present when the records were read (laughs) or because she remembered it, she... Dora never had a sense that Tima was remembering anything more than anybody in this room was... Got it. ...during their time at Briarstone. What Tima has remembered since then, the way that we have remembered other things since then, is not, she has not shared with Dora. (laughs) Dora has not asked. But we do know that to some extent, in certain situations, Tima has taken actions of her own. Yeah. Like inside the dreamscape, you know, she went and had a little conference call with the Tatterman. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was not something that Dora or Katie instigated. So we do know there is... She acts independently. She does act independently when she has the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If she can right now, it's, and, it's and, unknown. And and learning that and figuring it out and protecting against that is more important than ever. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, the Tima, good thing Tima about is Tima. now also connected to Shadow Yeah. And the good thing about it is that Tima is insane. I guess that's good. So, um... Is it? She might not plot huh. saying that name. She might not be able to kind of get it together. But a blurt might happen. A blurt might, a blurt might happen. happen. Yeah. Impulsiveness. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what about Ray? 
how, how did uh, how did Ray and Paul process that information? <laughs> well, Paul had a um, just a flash of a question that I interpret for Ray, going back way back when Ray and Dora were first getting to know each other. Ray asked if Dora could help him figure out why the name Daria was scrawled all over his body. Yeah. Uh, scarred all over his body. Um, cut into his cut body. Cut into his body. In the language of devils and contracts. And neither Dora or I could find any information in my subconscious about it. Not that it had been hidden, but that any memory of that was taken away. Yeah. Could be worth trying again now. Ray is very curious to know if Daria is the name of his sister and to know that this accusation that wasn't that is Vaticus. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're referring to him as? Yeah, I think I will refer to him as Vaticus or Dr. Vaticus just because I think even throwing in yeah. Gulliver might be confusing, right? Yeah, yeah. So when we refer to how John's character used to be called, I'll always say Gull, and I'll try to stick to saying either Vaticus or Dr. Vaticus when talking about the person that we know to have been Ray's father, Tima's husband. And how was that part of the psychometry uh, worded again? <laughs> well, he first said that he wanted Tima to know that it was Brayden that killed her. Yes. Well, that, that is actually what he said. But Tima knew what he meant, and she believed he meant we did it, meaning Vaticus and Brayden. Right. We also know that Vaticus wanted to drive a wedge between Brayden and Dora. Oh, wanted yeah. to create this antagonistic relationship. And we know about a certain and, day and where Dora. He, and not Dora, sorry. Tima. And Tima. Tima. We know about a certain day when he specifically sat Brayden down, gave him some sort of substance, and sent them mm-hmm. out to the whaling house. So all of these things are pinging for Ray in a horrific way. Um, And he's scratching at his scars and wondering when's the right time to bring this up. (laughs) Do you, so Katie's, Katie's been very clear from the beginning about, she just used the word wall. There's a wall between Dora and any sense of, I don't say this with any opinion, any sense of responsibility for any action that Tima may have taken. Mm -hmm. You don't have the comfort of there being two entirely separate identities. Does Ray have this wall? Does Ray feel guilt or responsibility? What does he feel? Or is it more in the nature of the question and the curiosity and the desire to know? Uh, It's the desire to know. It's um, underneath it is this, there's something that clicks that makes sense. Yeah. That says this, this, this world is awful. (laughs) this world is so terrible I don't want to know that I did this but I really think that I did this yeah yeah. and what about uh, Grip and Roni do they have any any particular thoughts on this they want to share or does this feel like something they want to stay out of I think Grip's like well (laughs) 
<laughs> this this particular circus is not my circus, and yeah. these are not my particular monkeys. Yeah, you got enough monkeys already, don't you? Yeah. So uh, he's <laughs> he is he's sitting back and listening, and internally trying not to show Gomen. What the fuck? And Roni is just thinking that Vaticus is a monster. Yeah. And even though all of us are also monsters, that every single time he learns something new about Vaticus, that he is far worse. And he also thinks... I'm that Vaticus is far worse? Yeah. Because because almost... I don't want to say that, that none of us have responsibility towards the things that we did, because we did, but also we were aimed. You're learning a lot about the circumstances in which you ended up being the people that you were. And it does, well, I guess maybe maybe the team is not quite yet, but several of you have learned that there have been notable instances where, as you say, Johnny, Vaticus has aimed or pointed or used the methods at his disposal to aim or point some of you at, uh, at various ends. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think Captain Skywin Freeling. I was trying to think like, so there was this invitation made of like, hey, I can do this thing for you. You want to check it out? And she's like, yeah, I'd like to check it out. And then she takes you all into her cabin, and this happens. Um, <laughs> no, maybe this is not for me. Um, but totally love. She's she's got her hand kind of again protectively over this little rucksack kind of thing that she's that she's got with obviously some of the the important emotional valuables of her life in there uh she doesn't quite do a cartoon style back through the hedge <laughs> like homer simpson um but she does you do find as you're sort of processing this and these you know wrapping up the uh the emotions of this moment that she has uh, slipped out of the room to leave some space for you all We've got this afternoon available to us. What is everybody planning on doing today? And we'll figure out what order we want to take it in. Uh, so, Grip, <laughs> while there is still daylight, yeah. before he retires for the evening back at the ship to... Smoke a pipe, put on the bathrobe, curl up with a book. Well, to to help bri- to help build this bridge yes. of, of getting people on the boat and people in the town to trust. He is going to do all that. But while there's still daylight... He's um, he's developed. Um, uh, he enjoys the feeling of fear that wash off these <laughs> civilians that see him. Uh-huh. So there's the. He's like, I kind of like that. So he's gonna take a lap through town with his hood down and uh, just stroll through town. And if anyone looks at him, he will make eye contact. He's not going to. He's not going to instigate anything. Uh-huh. But his plan is to walk, walk through town, a slow, leisurely lap that will wind up at the stain where he will have, he will stop and have one drink, mm-hmm. and he will tell the bartender to put it on his fucking tab, and then he will go back to the boat. That's his plan. Okay, is he sharing this with others? Yes, he will. He will. He will tell the the. The, th- the three his three companions great consider this discussion we're having as players to GM as a conversation that your characters are having so we can then respond to if anybody has feelings about gripping going off by himself what about Brayden would you mind if I come with you I'm interested in going to the stain as well 
No, I suppose not. I could hang back a couple of steps. If uh, you it's want. not like I'm embarrassed to be... I mean, pfft. no, that's fine. You can stay with me. My plan is to not try to stir up any shite, though, but who knows what the town will do, <laughs> am I right? Exactly. I like the way you're thinking. What about Roni? Oh, man. You gotta make a choice now, Johnny. <laughs> I already have so many things that I have to try to do. Uh, um, well, I guess then I have a question for the group because I am down to 14 bullets. So if I don't spend eight hours soon, I will not be able to use my alchemical torch. And also I have two more days of training to get my point-blank shot feet to work. And it also takes a day to make his pistol into a masterwork pistol. He's got a whole bunch of things he needs to do, but it's about four days worth of work. Yep. Without And he's been wrestling bullets, for a week about what order to put him in. Without ammunition, the other activities are pointless. That's true. Um, have but, you ever used 14 bullets in a day? No, but that doesn't mean that... I, know, I, know. We're, I mean, like, literally... <laughs> I mean, how? There's no possibility you could ever run out of ammo, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't be Thanks, a dream come true for, yeah. a, for a game master. Yeah, for a game master. I think it's for the best if you stay back and do your homework. Son. No, but if you're going, if you're going to the stain, then well, you can't purchase. Roni's going to go to the stain. You can't purchase ammunition because there aren't other. He has to make it. I have to make it. Right. I have to go and right. purchase the fixings, and Amazing. that's a whole other conversation of you right. know how much money can I spend, but. Uh, if you're going to the stain, then I'm going to the stain. I'm not not going to go to the stain. I'm not gonna. I'm not going. I'm not going to a leave my friend to go to a place where I know it's like a powder keg, and b if there are people there that work for me or worked for me, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna leave you to them by yourself. So, there goes my plan. What's Dora's plan? I wonder if, on your way, you wouldn't mind leaving me at the book layers. I think you should know I intend to study the Chain of Knights mm. for a way out of our new predicament. But I don't want to do it here, on the ship. Yeah, that tracks. How about this? See if this makes sense, because I don't want to deprive Johnny of the opportunity to have his character do a downtime activity. If we see as the early part of this day, Ray and Grip take Dora down to the book layers, get her situated, make sure she seems safe and set up while Roni works on the ship with whatever he's doing, if he's gonna craft or train, whatever he wants to do, then they can take their circuit through town and Roni could meet them at the stain at the end of his shift. How does that Love sound? Love it. Love it. If, if, if it's the sort of thing where like we're going in together. That, yeah, sure. Great. And this we could we could still all do that with daylight hours. Yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be getting on because to I mean dusk, uh, we, yeah. we would want to. If, if no things, one's going to be at the stain while it's still light up. That's true. No one don't go but if things go smoothly, we do want to be back to the boat before nightfall, right? Understood. I mean that's yes. that's that seems to be the vibe in town. That whatever's happening is happening. Yeah. Then yeah, I'm it. good. I'm I forgot good about that. the vibe in town. I like the idea of showing up to the stain right around work time, getting out. Yeah. Okay. All right, I got a picture of that. Even though we finished with Dora stuff last time, since what Dora is going to dig into is a little more mechanical here, why don't we why don't we take spend a little time jumping into the chain of knights? So Grip and Ray, 
escort Dora down to the book layers, which you have broken into and checked out thoroughly. When you re-enter the dusty, abandoned space, it is it is as you left it. And uh, Dora pulls out the ancient tome. Do you do you dog eat the pages? I said I was not gonna do ever. It's like, oh well, that's. Do you dog eat the pages, or do you use a bookmark? I I just remember I am a psychic. Ah, all right. So we find. Oh boy, (laughs) you're looking at me like. So you do a sit down at a table. You want to sit down like in the on middle the of the dusty room. Yeah. Yeah. With your glowing crystal, mm-hmm. with this ancient leather tome open before you. And as you study the cover of this book, the cover of the book does start to seem as though it's maybe made of skin, maybe human skin. But you're not sure. Maybe that's just your imagination running away with it, with itself, right? Right? Probably not. Are there any particular precautions that Dora would like to take before she starts to dive into the Chain of Knights? Yeah, I don't know that it'll help, but she has this incorruptible ability, so she'll use it. Okay. Last for four hours. Do you want to start her off with one remove sickness? It won't last that the whole period, helpful, but yeah. at least... Yes. Thank you. She'll have, a, she'll have a brief window of time where she's yeah. not uh, terribly ill while reading the Chain of Nights. I don't have almost anything left today, so... Here we go. Uh, but if there's a check on performing rituals to be made and basic precautions to take, I'd like to make that check. You would know that every ritual that exists is completely different? Yeah. And that if you don't know how to cast a ritual, you literally can't. So there is no danger so, of no you no danger like, of me accidentally casting starting a, a ritual. ritual. No, rituals do have to be done with intentionality. That's good to know. Uh, I will remove my physical weapons: the sickle and the dagger, the silver dagger. Just off your person. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I got. All right, you settle down on the floor there, under the light of your crystal, studying this book. Maybe even you, maybe even your lap unconsciously making space, making negative space for a, a small thoughts. animal to join yeah. you. <laughs> it feels like a very familiar action, not only familiar to Dora, but familiar to Tima. Mm-hmm. You've both had foxes that you loved. And you open the chain of knights. The good news is as you first start to flip through it. What languages do you speak? Abyssal, Aklo, Draconic, Hallet, Infernal, Kelish, Orc, Modern, Osiriani, Taldane, and Verizian. Alright. So, it does seem to be written mostly in Draconic and in some very old versions of there's iterations of Hallet and Osiriani in there that you aren't fully versed in, but you can totally get by. Uh, It's very old. It's like 3,600 years old, this book. And a first quick scan through the book is probably pretty reassuring. You're able to kind of get a sense of what you're facing here in this, and it doesn't drive you mad immediately and instantaneously, as I know you were... (laughs) Have been terrified Uh, of the entire time. Yes. It does seem as though the first section of the book is 
a text on the anatomy and workings of the brain. It's about 100 pages that concern themselves with diagnosing, analyzing, and treating uh, physiological and psychological afflictions with therapy, drugs, surgeries. You know, there's a second section of the book, about 200 pages or so, that does seem to be concerned with perhaps the casting of psychic spells, perhaps the unlocking of parts of the mind to enact certain psychic abilities. You'll have to spend some time to learn more. And then the last 500 pages of the book do seem to be concerned with uh, detailing a very, very complicated ritual. Just Mm. one. One occult ritual. One 500-page... Yes. So... Basically, it seems as though if you want to spend the next eight hours, it's going to take about an hour to read the first section and process what it what it <laughs> says and does. How convenient. About two hours to do the next section, and then about five hours to even wrap your head around what's going on in that last section. You in co- for a penny. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. So she reads the first hundred pages, and this is... Interesting and fascinating details from a bygone era about how diseases of the mind and interpretation of dreams and surgeries and stuff were handled. I'm sure Dora, being who she is, finds this wildly fascinating, um, but no no new information to bring into the campaign from this section. Mm -hmm. The second section is wildly fascinating to Dora. This is so cool. So once you've read this and you've processed what is in there, you now know what the second section does. Anybody who spends one hour reading the second section of The Chain of Nights can use the hypnotism occult skill unlock (laughs) once per day, even if that character isn't capable of casting psychic spells. Or in Dora's case, she can spend an hour reading it and be able to do that twice per day if she wishes. Anybody can do that if they want to devote the time to it. Also, after one hour, a separate hour, of consulting the tome, the reader gains a plus two bonus on a single knowledge planes check related to the dimension of dreams, which now Dora has, just floating eternally until you decide you want to use it. You can just say, I want to use that. I, I learned about this in the Chain of Nights and add a plus two to a knowledge plans check about the dimension of dreams. Uh, this is, is that so- repeatable? No. That's, okay. Everybody gets that once. This is something that, say, someone like Roni, who's also capable of making that check, yeah. could take an hour on this and then hold on to this, like clutch this floating future possibility of a bonus to the check. And also, this middle section of the book is essentially a psychic spell book containing five spells. Two of them, Dora knows, exist out in the world. Spells Dream and Nightmare. The spell Dream, just in a nutshell, not getting too too big detail, allows you to send a simple message to somebody else through their dreams, wherever either of you may be in the universe. (laughs) And Nightmare is very similar to what to abilities like that, that that the Tatterman had, essentially doing damage to you through your dreams. It's mostly used to prevent arcane and occult spellcasters from being able to uh, prepare their spells the next day. Mm-hmm. 
So these are spells that Dora knows exists, but it, then it moves on to... Would it work on divine casters as well? It does not. Oh, okay. Are these real spells I can look up in Archives of Nethys? Are they... Yeah, Dream and Nightmare. All of these are. What is particular to our campaign here is... So these are all high-level spells. I think yeah. Dream and Nightmare are both fifth level. The rest of these spells go up even higher than that. So these, these aren't things that Dora will be casting anytime soon. And these are not. This is not like a scroll, so you, she can't just right, that's try to I'm... cast. She has to wait. But the f- other four spells are spells that in our game, one can only learn if they've ever read The Chain of Nights. Huh. They don't exist anywhere else, and only psychic spellcasters can learn them. So I could learn them, I could choose them later. When you get they to the appropriate level. To yeah. oh, wow. when, since you've read this, <laughs> and as, basically I think as long as you still have The Chain of Nights in your possession, yeah. at the time that you level, if you want to say, I want to take one of these spells, you could, under no other circumstances, could Let, anybody. Let's keep Dora alive to take advantage <laughs> of this. Can we know what they are? Can we know what they are? Yeah, what are they? Oh, I said four. It's three. It's three more spells. Yeah. Um, they are called Dream Council, Dream Scan, and Dream Travel. High-level, short-form version of these spells. One allows you to not simply send a message to somebody, but to essentially you know, set up a little private meeting room and meet in your dreams. <laughs> it's Teleron right, that, exactly, yes. that was exactly what I was thinking. Sweet. Dreamwalkers. Oh, that's so cool. So that spell that I just said was actually, that's dream travel, to actually like physically, yeah. physically meet with somebody else in the dimension of dreams. Is That's the high That's the high level one. Oh my God. The first God. one is dream council, which is basically like dream, except you can talk back and forth a little bit. So you don't meet but there can be a slight exchange of information, sort of like a, what is it, sending, where you can kind of respond sending. briefly. It's kind of like a sending that operates anywhere. And then Dream Scan is fun. It essentially allows you to piggyback a detect thoughts onto <laughs> a dream. So you enter somebody else's dream and you attempt to interpret what you're witnessing <laughs> in such a way that you effectively can read their surface thoughts and get some information out of them while they sleep. <laughs> oh. These are so they're so. Are these cool. all uh, like cross planar? Yes. Wow. Damn. So one could theoretically talk to Tima there. Possibly mm. so. Yeah. So unlike other spells of these natures that are either limited by distance, by plane, etc., these are, you know, and sometimes the timing of these can be super goofy because it's like you go to sleep now. Yeah. Who knows when the other person goes to sleep? Sometimes you have to stay sleeping for twenty-four hours just to like sync up times with when yeah, you're. Yeah, I read listening. the Wheel of Time. I know how it works. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. Great. 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 <laughs> so these spells are available to you and only to people who have ever read this book. Isn't that Very fun? Cool. I like that. That is Do I cool. know anyone who's read this book who is alive? I don't know. Do you? So Not I'm that I can think of. Remember, I can't think of anyone because these things can also, of course, be used against and at us if that is the case. So, worth it to know. Count Lowell might have yeah, read this. Maybe Count yeah. Lowell's. Count Lowell's has read this book. Fucking Lowell's. Probably safe to assume that um, Henri Mertmain has at least flipped through its oh, pages, sure. if not fully read it. And we don't we don't know his status. Yep. Okay. We know Dr. Lissandro has read it. Dr. Lissandro is no more. We know that the Tatterman read it. Tatterman is no Tatterman more. is no more. And then the last section. Yeah, here we go. Teaches you about the occult ritual 
called Release Nightmare. Now, we're going to get into the full details on how occult rituals work when we start actually casting them, so we'll just kind of stick to a high level here. Thank you. But the basic gist of what Dora gets out of this is she now knows the ritual exists. She now has access to the means to learn it. Because of the time she spends here, I can tell her what it does and what it requires. But Dora does not have the capacity to actually cast it until she spends six full days trying to process this information. My guess is there's no reason she would attempt to spend this time once I tell you how this particular occult ritual works. But the way occult rituals work is first you have to find they even exist. Mm -hmm. Then you got to find out like what they do. That's what Dora's just done. Then you have to actually process how to cast it, which is a process that can take days, weeks, or months. And materials, I assume. Sure. That's probably wrapped up into the six days. No, the only thing this ritual requires is a single candle. So... Well, it takes six days to find that candle. No, it really is to process 500 pages of occult gibberish and turn it into something that you could do. Yeah. That's, that is what, that's, so occult rituals are magic that is beyond mortal magic. It is magic that is triggered by unlocking truths and mysteries of the universe in such a way that you enact something to happen without casting a spell. And, you know, we sort of talked about this in some other games. In this world, even though magic is magic, there's something, it's kind of like science in that if you're an arcane spellcaster, you know, if I do this, if I say this, if I use this component, then this happens according to the rules of the universe I'm in. Or if you're a divine caster, if I call upon this god, this god allows me, it gives me the power to do this. These occult rituals are something entirely different. They don't have to be enacted by a spellcaster. Anybody who has taken the time can attempt to do that. There are benefits to being a spellcaster because you do have more familiarity with the rules of magic and how to bend and use and uh, take advantage of them. In short, every occult ritual has a primary caster and allows the possibility of a certain number of secondary casters. Every occult ritual requires a certain number of skill checks to be made. Those checks are different for every single ritual. Most of them usually involve uh, partially or entirely different knowledge checks, but not all. In the case of the Release Nightmare ritual, the checks that have to be made are knowledge planes and heal. There are circumstances that have to be fulfilled in order to make them. Let me just read through this. So the release nightmare requires 60 minutes to cast. It requires the primary caster to enact verbal components, that's reading from the book, somatic components, that's making gestures, and a focus of a single candle flame flickering in a darkened room. If you go back and listen to 22, you'll always Mm -hmm. note that I mentioned there was just one single candle burning in that room when those rituals happened. It does allow secondary casters, up to 12 of them. Now, the benefit of secondary casters is as a baseline for every four of them that you have, I think it adds plus one to all the skill checks that are made in there. And you can also have secondary casters make any of the necessary checks if you wish. It requires four DC 28 heal checks and two DC 28 knowledge planes checks. With any occult ritual, as long as you succeed at half of the necessary checks, you pull the ritual off. 
So you've got a couple of uh, possibilities of failures. So what happens automatically, whether the ritual succeeds or fails to the primary caster, is they are targeted by the spell Nightmare every day for up to the next week. DC 28. That is unavoidable. Like if you if you cast this ritual, you're gonna be you're gonna suffer a nightmare incursion for potentially up to a week. At a Did DC, that happen to the to the Tatterman? Is the Tatterman susceptible yeah, to the nightmare spell? Probably not right. Unknown. Like he hangs there. Unknown. The, as you probably know, the ritual contain, uh, creates a small rift between the dimension of dreams and the target's mind. If the target suffers from natural, reoccurring nightmares, the ritual conjures them into a viscous physical substance that boils forth from the target's mouth and nose, then congeals into an inert lump of dead dream stuff. After this, the target has no natural nightmares for a year and never has those specific nightmares again. This ritual dispels the nightmare spell and makes the target immune to that spell for a week. However, if the target is the victim of an outsider that can cast Nightmare as a supernatural or spell-like ability, this ritual conjures that outsider. The outsider is in no way controlled by the target or the ritual's casters and very likely either attacks those who conjured it or attempts to flee. Any outsider having any ability, even remotely similar to Nightmare, might also be conjured by this effect. That's obviously the piece that Dr. Lissandro didn't fully wrap her head around or didn't simply know. Or didn't know. think it was a big deal. Exactly. She didn't know the Tatterman's existence. She had no idea that by doing this, trying to help Oliver Zandalus, she was automatically conjuring him forth. And it was only because Oliver Zandalus was the powerful psychic that he was that he even had a chance of uh, he couldn't prevent the Tatterman from coming forth, but he prevented him for a time from being fully released onto the physical world. So ritual performed by normal person, you expunge nightmares from the the yeah. recipient. Yeah. Well and good. Caster can is the Tatterman, then you start conjuring things. Like if if if, 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 the, so, if, the, someone, sub, if the subject is being haunted by the Tatterman, it brings the Tatterman forth. Okay. If the caster has had has cast has had the spell nightmare cast on them, it brings forth the caster. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So, let me if, finish here too, because okay. there's more. Um, we're almost done, but the the piece here that uh, so if you if you don't fully succeed at the ritual, if you if you if you don't make at least half of those skill checks, the target takes two d ten points of damage, and if it kills the target, the target becomes an onirogen rather than dying. Now, the thing that the Tatterman missed was that this ritual has to be enacted on a willing subject. Mm -hmm. And since it was enacted on a non-willing subject, it just immediately went to the failure result and created this broken Oneirogen. That's also why he needed to get volunteers, because the only way to make <laughs> successful Oneirogens out of them was to have them consent to having the spell cast on them. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is a it is a powerful but uh, deeply flawed ritual that, as Dora wraps her head around what it does, uh, it it is it is one that you know just to editorialize a little bit here is hardly worth 
uh, the effort and potential risks to cast on anybody if you have other means at your disposal. She's not, she wasn't a spellcaster, and she had reached the end of her line, and she thought that this this seemed like something that, um, because she didn't know he, he was being haunted by an outsider, seemed like, wow, if I just do this, if I pull this off, he can't have those nightmares ever again. And he wouldn't have. But it did bring forth the Tatterman. Hmm. And we are in a world now where we don't know who's being haunted by what, and who is dreaming what, who is connected to what through nightmare. Any other questions? I was just thinking of the possibility that if this was cast on any of us, it might bring forth the stranger. It might. It might also bring forth the great old one, Jamin Dor. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> what I was worried about. <laughs> Is, uh, isn't the real Jamandor the friends we made along the way? <laughs> Let's stop saying that word. Dora started to wonder if um, they didn't have, they weren't already infected, and that their memory wiping was the effort to hmm. protect them from that fate. Hmm. Say that again? Yeah, interesting. Because Dora's skin itches in a spot that existed when she woke up, which is, is half of her body, just half of her body. She's wondering if the reason they had their memories taken from them, however that happened, is because they were already infected with that name. Mm. Because it did suppress the connection while they didn't know who they were. Hmm. Some connections did indeed seem to have been broken by whatever was happening. As we talked about with Grip and Nergal last time. And when they heard it again, the same area of her body the unexplained area of her body that is affected by something kind of lit back woke up, up. Yeah. which there's a lot of implications of s- someone trying to help them. But the, but the main implication that Dora is latching onto is that it can be suppressed. And <laughs> she is wondering if this campaign does not end with them all <laughs> succumbing to whatever ritual they succumbed to before <laughs> to end up back in the same place <laughs> in an endless loop of forgetting who they were. Hmm. Everybody give me an intelligence check. <laughs> Robert's already laughing. 23. Yeah, there we go. I can't do any better than that, basically, I'm without not. a natural 20. Yeah. Five. Dora, just as she started to, based on the questions that Katie was asking last time, Dora sort of made a mental connection with the concept of the soul on the breaking of connections with these tattoos that had been on Grip's body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dora is able to process something that I'm, I'm sure has been nearly impossible for the four of you to process, but has been going on since the beginning. And the reason you can't process it is because I've given you almost no information about it. <laughs> but thanks. there is something that has been trying to talk to you, something that has seemed to have had reason to feel as though you should be connected and was surprised to find that you were no longer connected. And then as you left Briarstone, seemed to be fully disconnected from you. You still don't know what that is. The thing chained? The prisoner is what prisoner. I called it in the, the prologue for this particular book. You still don't know what that is, but this idea that perhaps there was a connection with something that whatever happened to you all that took all this away from you might have broken multiple connections, uh, that starts. That just sort of pings Dora's mind as maybe linked in with this uh, as well. 
you're swimming you're swimming in a whole bunch of similar soups at the moment mm-hmm. with all the things with all the foul things you're connected with the many connections does the meaning of the book's title come out while Dora's whatever that metaphor is the chain of knights there is a lot in the book about what can be done while dreaming and how that can bind people together and that can also trap or imprison them. I think that's probably what the references were referring yeah. to. Hmm. So that is Dora's day as she is processing this incredibly huge and intense tome. Gull, what, what did you end up deciding you want to do? Uh, I want to make some uh, bullets. Gonna craft some bullets. Um, Excellent. How many but, are you making? What are you making? Well, this is a this is a conversation. Uh, I don't know. I I guess we'll do it right now. But uh, right. I I need to spend money to do it. So I wanted spend to spend it. Spend it. Is no, everyone okay with that? What if I got to spend money on? Great. Okay. I'd like you to also be useless during battle. Oh, I'm. I <laughs> just wanna because literally I'm. I'm gonna spend like 230 gold pieces on crafting bullets. Great. Good. And then it's another 300 gold pieces later on on another point to like upgrade my firearms. Absolutely. Master yes. Great. Worth it. Great. I just wanted make sure that everybody's cool with that. I didn't want to take the money out of the till and then everybody be like, "You did what?" <laughs> So no, we're watching the till. We know. Fantastic. All right. Well, then, uh, then I will do a brief stop at uh, Binter's Smithy to get materials because other I, I assume that I have to go someplace to buy materials. They don't just like magically appear from the sack. That's correct. And uh, and then my thought was uh, to also <laughs> maybe go back to the uh, the bookbinders and be in like do another room there? so that I so that I would also be able to watch Dora's back while she's doing this. Great. And also, at this point, not wanting to have everybody see the stuff that I'm doing. I don't want to go and do this at the yeah. boat. Okay, so as Grip and Ray are getting Dora set up as she's beginning to read the book, Roni makes his pop into town over the bridge, past the fish market, past the sleepless building, around the, the eastern side of the large hill that you have not yet been up, and you can see looming over above the kind of the center of town there, another one of the star steely. You get to a fork, and you can see that where you look off to your left, if you were to continue counterclockwise around the base of this large hill with the star Stella, you can see it seems to open up into what looks like a, a large... A, a, a marketplace, uh, a large collection of shops, places where goods and services might be sold. It is a place because folks need to make their money where, you know, unlike a lot of the houses, you don't see places shuttered up. You do see a few people going from shop to shop, uh, but it's not, you would not call it bustling with activity. Mm-hmm. As you veer to the right, hugging another one of these little inland pockets of lake inside the town here. You go past a whole number of houses that are clearly of dwarven construction. And you do, for the first time, see here and there, out and about, uh, a small number of dwarves. Maybe you see one uh, back in his backyard chopping firewood, etc. At the end of this stretch, you do come to a smithy, and uh, the owner's got the front door is open as she's working at one of her two forges. It's a female dwarf, sort of late middle ages, got a very artsy look about her. She's wearing a very colorful bandana, and she's got over her work apron, 
many colorful scarves and stuff wrapped about her, very cleverly in a way so that they won't dip or get caught on things. But you see, it seems important to her to uh, express some something with all of this color. And she has, there are certainly uh, weapons and armor hanging about in the shop, but you do see more more than implements of war. You see what you would call art. There are quaint ornaments, uh, lamps made from old copper pots, vases created with uh, scrapped lead tiles, uh, sculptures, jewelry, uh, all sorts of you know interesting, more artistic, more expressive objects than items of war. And she's busily she's at the forge, busily working. She's probably working on a what's she making right now? She's making some copper plates, and as she sees you crest the open doors her eyes just go to the ground she ceases making eye contact she steps away from her forge and steps back obediently like a like a student in a school who will only speak when spoken to uh sorry to interrupt what you're doing i'm roni Stoicher. can you help me and what do you require today i'm guessing you and i must have had some kind of uh Interaction before? I'm sorry, I don't know if this is a trick question or not. It's not. The person that I was is gone. So, I don't know what dealings you had with the person that I was. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not here to uh, hurt you or take things from you. I just need to purchase some supplies and then I'll I'll get out of your hair. What sort of supplies do you need? And I rattle off sure, you what know, you need. The, the, the types of things that I need. Yeah. She starts to slowly respond to this different manner from you, though you kinda clock her as someone who may have been pretty traumatized by you in the past, as though you may have been a regular here. And as you're sort of rattling off what you need. And she gets the idea through the course of this conversation that it's okay for her to speak mm-hmm. before being spoken to. She does eventually say, so, so did you get it working then? Seems like you got it working. Do, do you know about the alchemical torch? I, I don't know the name of it, but you were... This, when I pull it out. Huh. Well, that looks different, but yeah, you were working on something like that for... For quite some time, the last year or so. Hmm. You seem to be having trouble with it. You're trying to figure figure it out, like. It's good to know. I, uh... I don't know that I really want to know the answer to this, but, uh... What did I do to you? And I'm not making eye contact with her. And and having a, an obvious look of sort of, like, I feel like a real shitheel for even... Yeah bugging you. Well, you and your friend made my life a living hell. Your friend made it almost impossible for me to keep my business open. Rip Tusk. The constable, I... I'm... I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do to try to help your business now or help you? Well, if you're here to actually purchase these supplies, that would be a start. I... Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. 
here you go, and she sort of bundles up everything that you need to get your bullet and pellet making rolling. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying. I'm also buying like the supplies to turn the the alchemical torch into a masterwork thing. Oh, you're now. buying I'm doing everything. Great, everything now, so I have all the supplies, so that I don't have to come back, come back and do right away. Yeah. yeah, yes. Uh, so she can get you all set up with that, and um, uh, she seems obviously. Because how much money are you spending? I'm going to spend. Uh, I'm going to make an eat even 600 then Whoa. so that I have another 70 gold pieces. So you spend a lot of money in her in her smithy. And again, as someone who does make arms and armor, but who mostly focuses on art, it's, it's a good day. It's a, obviously a very good day for her. And, you know, she doesn't end up bubbling over with yeah. enthusiasm. But your point of... of uh, you know, making making sure that you're paying for this and uh, treating her with respect is is noted. And uh, what was our gold piece total? Uh, so you spent six hundred out of how much? Out of uh, si- sixteen one six nine three. So oh, we okay. have one thousand ninety three. So okay, cool. We still have quite a bit. And do we still have stuff to barter and sell? Oh yeah, yeah. we have okay. we have like masterwork stuff, magic stuff. Like we have things. We that had we just that in gold. Wow. Yeah. Oh, if we if we if you're cool with this, Robert. We could also, as you're going to walk through town, you would certainly probably pass the High Mart. You could take some of the stuff that you have to get rid of up there, and we can deal with you maybe selling off some stuff as well if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. So then uh, Roni is set up, and you do catch her name. It is Cleta Binter. Oh, and she does, you would, through the course of this conversation, John, uh, Roni would find out that the second forge that she's got she basically keeps free for the other dwarves in the community to use as they will or for anybody else to essentially pay a small fee to use. So if you ever get to the point where you need to do something more involved than what you can do with your gunsmithing kit, you know that there is a an actual honest-to-goodness forge here that can be uh, rented, basically. Okay. Would it be safe to assume then that I would have a little money on my person? I think that's safe to assume. Yeah, Especially I mean, since you all know what you're doing for the day. Yes. So divvy up some of that thousand left over as you need as you need to. I'm just going to put 20 gold pieces and 20 silver pieces Great. in my pouch. Why doesn't everybody take 25 gold pieces? Just take that it. Way, way I just want to have, I want to, oh, if it's easier to record, that's cool. That's fine. And you can have some of it in silver pieces. Okay. Robert, if you okay. want to. Okay. All right. So Roni meets up with Cleta Binter down in the dwarven section of town and heads back up and rejoins the crew at the book layers as Dora is diving in more seriously to her work with the Chain of Knights. And we can assume that Ray and Grip, once Roni's back and he's all set up, and it seems as though uh, Dora's going to be protected and stuff, uh, head about head out into town. We're going to promenade around the town. <laughs> <laughs> and Ray, you're sticking with Grip. I'm sticking with Grip, and we both have our hoods up. I'm hood down. Your hood down? I'm hood down. I want people to know who I am. Ray's going to keep his hood up just to add a little sense of mystery. (laughs) (laughs) No one will be able to tell who you are by those long, gangly arms. Slightly disjointed hip. Rotting flesh. That's probably new. So you head back into town over the bridge past the fish market where there are are some customers milling about there. Uh, Some probably visiting the stalls of Old Two Bits and Gurn and Tolly probably being, I'm guessing, regaled a little bit about Tolly's adventures today. 
Tolly's participation in the great achievement Rolled of the day. the shit out of that boat. Yes. Stared off into the fog very stoically, like a boss. <laughs> yeah. And they're all standing around saying, yeah, that was something. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So the, f- the, the small collection of folks who are there buying fish from these vendors, as they cast their eye on the two of you heading over the bridge, you, you do notice, I mean, because they're, they're right there talking to these guys, you do notice less of a oh holy shit response and more of like a huh <laughs> you know sort of a, a communal hmm <laughs> from these townsfolk which is different than uh, a, an immediate fear response it is different it doesn't, doesn't give grip it's like, the it's like that he needed I've been getting I'm getting methadone now instead uh. of the good stuff <laughs> um, but that's fine that's fine take a right head past the sleepless building where you do see Annie outside smoking if you had any interest in talking to her, but she doesn't immediately leap out and... Um, only because I know she doesn't like me, I'll just give her a... And a good fucking day to you, too, as I walk by. I see you. <laughs> it's not too hard to do, is it, now? I see where you are going. <sighs> All right, then. Good smoke to you, I guess. <laughs> you carry on, you take a right past the base of the large hill with the star Stella. You head down the way a bit. You pass what looks as though it was probably an older, larger house at one time. Maybe one of the original houses of folks that had money, but at some point over the last uh, several hundred years has turned into more of an industrial operation. Looks as though maybe the whole first floor has been cleared out and turned into uh, some sort of a factory space, and maybe the upper upstairs is still uh, living quarters. But uh, from the smell emerging from that, you can tell it is, it's probably the smokehouse. It is where some of the catch from Lake and Carthen is brought to be smoked and preserved. And you do see, notably, that all of the, the workers hanging out in the back on break are children. So here you go, Robert. There is your hit of fear. All the kids see you coming, and they immediately quiet up and look, sort of look at the ground and then head back into work, even though their break is probably still... They still got five minutes on their break, man, and they're going back to work rather than have to deal with you or see you on the street. Are you hungry, Ray? Yeah, I could eat. I'm going to get a fish. So you enter the door to find, indeed, a, a, a factory sort of set up where they're working on smoking fish. And it indeed is an army of, of children. And the overseer is this middle-aged human woman with kind of bulbous green eyes, like a little too big. Like maybe she's, maybe there's, maybe there's some kind of blood like way back in her bloodline that... Maybe, you know, some forebear. Ancient family secret. Yeah, something like that. And uh, as you come in... Alice, what? What do you want? What do you... Oh! Oh! Oh, Constable. Constable. You're you're back. Yeah. I don't have your money. At the moment, I didn't know you were back. Uh, You know what? I'll come back for the money. That's all right. You hold on to that for now. But I'll take a fish for me and my friend. Uh, oh, this well, this is highly unusual. Usually, we... <laughs> she's she's kind of going back. Oh, 
<laughs> some of the fish is being worked on. Not really, we send these over to the but uh, yeah, here's here, here, here's a fish. Thank you. You're welcome. And she's she's you paying those children, right? Everybody here gets paid, and all the kids at the same time nod vigorously. All right then. You want to make a sense motive check? Yeah, why not? I'm not particularly good at that. Other people's motives are best left to themselves, mostly I find. But a thirteen. Impossible to tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, too subtle for you, Robert. I, I have a, I have a question. Night. Are you wearing your badge? No. Okay. No, I'm saving. I might at some okay. point, but I'm saying I got uh, that's a reveal for a, a, a necess- when it becomes necessary. <laughs> got it. But no, I'm not wearing it. Um, all right, so we take, we'll be back. Make sure you're paying those fucking kids. If I find out you're not, you're going to hear from me. Never let it be said that old Lacey didn't didn't pay her workers. How much money are you holding for me? Just uh, just out of curiosity, I forget. I don't care if it's a weird question. Just answer it. Fifty, as always. Mm-hmm. Since more. <laughs> Four. <laughs> Fifty as always. All right, I'll be back for that. I'm not sure when. Just stay on your toes. Yes, cuz. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Describe the look I was just giving Robert. Um. <laughs> that, um... Creepy AF. Yeah, like uh, like I know. Yeah, you'll be back, won't you? You'll always come back. It was that kind of look. That, um, it was a look like if I could stab you in the back of the neck and know that you die, I would do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh. But also a little bit of, it's really a hundred. But I'm not telling him. <laughs> Maybe <that>. so. <laughs> we'll discuss the rate later, but uh, today is not the day. You continue along the way down Market Street and you pass on the right what the town calls the New Chapel, which is a two-story wooden temple to Farazma. The doors are wide open and inside the large open sanctuary, you can see what looks like a youngish half-elf man working on a mural on the inside. Nobody else coming in or out. A couple of collection of small houses on the left there continuing on your way and now Ray you are now stepping into like footstep by footstep you're stepping into that brief little dream you had and you're starting to get this feeling of whoa I'm I'm heading I'm heading to the place I told myself not to go to okay continuing on yes At the end of Market Street, on a lonely, wind-swept outcropping of land, you do indeed see the Wailing House. Mm. Gigantic, three-story mansion from another era, completely falling apart, boarded over. A fence has been constructed about 30 feet away from it on all sides to keep people out of it. And as you stand there looking at it, Ray, and the only view past it is just the lake and the fog rolling in off of the lake, you get this, you look down at your hand and you almost feel as though you're holding a chain and you are dropped right back into your experience in the Nightmare City in the very first 
chapter of the campaign. And you spin around and you see this part of town stretching in front of you. There's some of this land on this island that you're on heading to a bridge that goes back onto the mainland. And you see the yellow city and you see these buildings in Thrushmore, almost as if Thrushmore were a boil bubbling underneath the skin of this yellow city. That the yellow city is in fact transformable and mutable and can take on the shape of other places and other dwellings. And you look directly ahead of you now that you've turned your back on the Wailing House and you see a path heading towards a bridge and you know this is exactly the way that you ran in that very, very first Nightmare in Chapter 1. That takes you back into town. You want to follow that? I do. But before this vision fades, can I spot um, where the star stelle are in relationship to the city of Carcosa that's superimposed over the city of Thrushmore? Is there anything that the stelle do to help orient or provide any sort of landmark? No, and I think... So right now, you're about as far away from the two hills with the standing stones as you can be and still be in town. So I think the fog might be obscuring them okay. from your view at this point. Okay. Yes, I follow the... Um, this is the pa- the bridge to the north. Yeah, got it. Mm-hmm. And Grip, you're just following along with him? I... You, fo- you, take, you cross over another one of these stone bridges that connects one of these islands back to the mainland. You're in the far extreme east, uh, southeast end of town now. And you enter what seems to be, what must be the kind of halfling quarter of town. There's a series of buildings, uh, a granary, a bakery, an ox mill, that seem to be sort of communally owned and run, and there are halflings scampering about, halflings working on the farms on the edge of town there. And you come to... Everybody see that? Mm -hmm. You come to another little square at the far eastern edge of town, just past the halfling quarter, past all of the businesses and uh, residences and farms of the halfling members of this community and you come to a low faded gray wall that is clearly sort of a demarker point of the end of town maybe long long ago it was a a shepherd like the edge of a shepherd's property to keep their sheep enclosed but you see this wall this very nondescript simple old stone wall and you think of it as a line beyond which you are not supposed to pass. And it processes to you now like it would to a child. Like, you're free to go play, but don't go further than the wall in Farmer's Square. You've got the run of the town, kid, but just don't go in the woods past this line. So this wall that seemed uh, almost ominous the first time you experienced it, way back 40-odd chapters ago, uh, now seems surprisingly simple, unthreatening, pastoral. Benign. But certainly important to a young Brayden as a a marker of significance. Sure. Do you torment any halflings, Robert, or do you... No, no, I'm going to leave the halflings to their own devices. Very good. We take a left 
past the wall. We pass through the dwarven quarter of town. You probably pass by Binter's Smithy and see her working there at her forge, back towards the hill with the uh, Star Stella on it. You can veer off to the right to the High Mart. We can do a little hand-waving here. I know you have some stuff that you want to sell. We can assume that can get sold pretty easily. Uh, so how much how much do you walk away with then, Goldwise? 540. Nice, and you do... You know, again, I wanna, I'm wanting to hand-wave through this particular bit of selling since I don't have any NPCs I want to throw at you at the moment. But do assume that is a significant amount of money for a small town, and you don't... You definitely don't feel like you're breaking anyone's bank, but you do feel like you're pushing at the edges of what this town might be able to compensate you for in a single afternoon, <laughs> but because you are who you are, grip. Nobody makes a complaint about we that We did fact. just put 600 gold pieces into the local economy. You sure so, did. You yeah. sure did. Took, took, a, took about 600 out, put about 600 back in. Mm-hmm. We're redistributing wealth. You are. We're like Robin Hood. Yeah, you guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're it's trying to be better. I needed. Trying to be better. This is fun. I think we're kind of using this day to complete the travelogue of towns so you have a sense of where everything is. Leaving the High Mart, you can head around, uh, continuing counterclockwise around the large hill. You pass between wait, that... Wait a minute. I do have a thing here that says Dr. Lissandra's books. Was that something that had value, or is that just something we were keeping? Those do have value. Okay, it does not have the value listed on here. Would that need a specialized oh, buyer? Oh, each book weighs two pounds and is worth 100 gold pieces. Yeah, thanks, Katie. Yeah, those would need a specialized buyer, like the former owner of the book layer. Great. <laughs> so that's not something that we were able to sell, sell today. today. Great. You leave the High Mart, walking around that hill with a star Stella, to the, uh, the counterclockwise direction, now passing through the base of the hill where Fort Halecourse looms up over you to your right. It does seem to be a two-story keep. The picture on this map kind of fairly accurately depicts it. It seems as though it's got, on the east side of the structure, a compound, and then a long wall with many, many two to three story towers encircling an obviously open space inside them. Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly big building, but it looks as though like most of it is this wall and these towers and that the actual structure there is uh, relatively small, maybe only like a five or six room, one or two story keep. Well, I'm not interested in walking in there today, Ray, but I bet someone comes looking looking for us from there before we're done. That's my prediction. I like that bet. You pass a elegant two-story building with a very fancy sign on the outside labeled Builder's Hall. Not immediately obvious what that is, unless it's maybe some sort of union house or something. You continue on through the heart of town here in the very very residential portion, mostly humans in this part of town. And there are people in this area uh, either heading to the High Mart or heading down to the Fish Market or heading up to the Silver Wagon, which is now close, and you can see it. It's, an, it's a very elegant-looking two-story red-painted inn at the base of the hill to Fort Hill Course. See more people out and about, and Robert, you'd, if you're looking for those little hits for grip here, you'd catch a lot of people who are 
already hustling because of the circumstances, who then cast their heads down and hustle more vigorously and quickly so as to not have to cross paths with you when they see you coming. Mm. <laughs> that's the sweet stuff. Mm, that's the stuff you after. <laughs> you pass the silver wagon, which does seem to be bustling's not the correct quite the correct word, but you do see people going in and out, and you do hear the sound of music happening on the inside, as though they're trying to keep business going and keep the people uh, supplied with imbibables, even during the circumstances. And then head down and down and down, where the houses get nattier and grimier, until you're finally on the extreme west end of town, where slouching next to an old windmill is the stain. It's an old building, very old building. Only one story tall, was probably a house originally. And it has the look of, despite its age, being extremely well kept, as though the owner, uh, it's got this sort of a military air about it, right? Like the owner probably goes out every single day, washes the windows, every single month repaints whatever needs to be painted, every single season uh, repairs whatever woodwork needs to be repaired. Once a year, it goes up and fixes the old belfry kind of fake tower at the top of the, uh, of the roof. And you can hear inside the sound of, uh, not revelry, but the sound of uh, folks chatting in low voices and drinking. So we're, we're, we're going to wait for... Uh... Roni to show up before we go in. Was that the plan? Here he comes. Hey. 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 Did you get your shite done? Yeah. All right. Let's go have a drink, gents. Like in an old Western, you open the front doors of the stain, everything stops. All heads turn. There's about 15 or so men drinking there late afternoon, and notably one younger woman, like a woman Ray's age, basically like early 20s. And behind the bar is just the most classic old western bartender, <laughs> but with Victorian side whiskers. Ooh. I think I've got I've got I think I've got art for you. There's some art. Is that uh Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You get the idea there. Love it. So you see all the the heads of the the fishermen and the farmers turn to you and Oh, because Roni's with you too, definitely. So they catch sight of Grip and Roni, and their eyes go to the ground. The bartender uh, does not. He maintains eye contact with the three of you, and so does the young woman, who's sitting off in a corner by herself. And I picture like a uh, more Grecian, like a little more, a little more olive-skinned, but she's got this kind of like youthful, kind of naive look about her. She seems extremely lively and vibrant. What's her, what's her kit? Yeah, she has a kit. She looks like an adventurer. <laughs> <laughs> All eyes dart to Katie. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look like you're from around here. <laughs> <laughs> Mithril shirt, masterwork rapier, masterwork crossbow, a whole bunch of Bottles and beakers along the belt as though she may be, you would probably first think maybe an alchemist. Uh, she looks roguey, investigatory, alchemisty sort of in type. Obviously very well experienced. Uh, she's got this olive skin, very blonde hair, very 
lively eyes. And she's she seems to be enjoying herself, and she has a bottle of whiskey in front of her. Yeah. You catch eyes with her, and as the bartender catches eyes with all of you, there's a brief flash of like, oh, here we go again. Uh, then he sees Ray from behind Grip's shadow. And he says, no, 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 now, now, Constable, you know the deal. He is banned. That boy, I'm sorry, son. You are banned. Well, that's the thing about deals, isn't it? What's his name? Remind me of your name. I've forgotten quite what your name is. You've forgotten what my name is? And one of the, one of the old grizzled guys next to you. Constable, that's, that's an Emmett. Well, Emin, the thing with deals is they sometimes change. His ban is lifted as of now. Not unless he pays his bill, it's not. Son, you pay me what you owe? Well, what's his tab at? And the, the girl across the way. Yeah, wh- what is his tab? How bad could it be in a town like this, I wonder? It's 49 gold pieces. Which, you see, the guys in the bar all going, oh, wow. That's a, that's a lot of drinking. All right. What's my tab at? <laughs> a constable, you know, and we all know that you don't like to be in debt to anybody. You that's always true. pay on time. That's true. I am here for taking on the boy's debt. His tab is my tab. You can serve him. Unless you think I'm not good for it. Let's have some fun, shall we? The... Quick, young, uh-huh. quick question. Yeah. What were the names of the two people that Cassadia Rents said worked for and or with me? She said Keldron Mon and Stanhope Nixon. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The girl does kind of an acrobatic leap over the table. <laughs> Which 49 gold pieces. That's really not anything, is it? And she gives you a wink, Ray. Look, if the big fella doesn't want to pay it, I'll pay it. What do I care? Come over here, boys, and finish my whiskey with me. And she toss, just tosses a handful of coins, clearly more than 49 gold pieces, onto the bar as though the money were nothing to her. And uh, she, like, <laughs> flips back over to the table and sits down and gives Ray a real come-hither kind of look. Ray looks over at Grip and Roni and nods, like, let's go over to this lady's table. Well, I was going to be ordering whiskey anyway, so... Who am I to turn down aid and someone in distress? So we walk up. Another bottle, barkeep. Thank you. Well, well, well. You all seem far more exciting than anyone else in here. And she looks, casts her eye around the place, and it's just like, grim. <laughs> I can late, assure late you. afternoon, <laughs> drunk noise. Oh, I can assure you, we are more exciting than anyone else you're going to meet in this town. Who are you? I'm the constable of the town, as it turns out. I don't see a badge. (laughs) Is that what it will take to convince you, then? I'm afraid it would, yes. He pulls the badge out and slams it down on the table as hard as he can. Oh, she takes a shot. (laughs) (laughs) And you've all got access to whiskey now. The bottle's there. Well, I take a shot my own damn self. Ray, you drinking? Ray pours himself a shot, uh, and as he's pouring, says, What brings you around here? <laughs> Are you drinking, Roni? Roni is drinking, but he has positioned himself in this establishment so that he has his back to a wall. 
Oh, and yeah. is able to see everybody. Why don't you give me a, a, a perception check? Ray would also thank this person for settling his tab. You didn't owe me anything, not even thanks. 25. All right, we'll come back to you in a second. You seem as if you needed some help there. Well, my name is Reese. Good to meet you. I'm, I'm, I... No offense to your town, but... I don't want to be here. <laughs> Why are you here, though? Honestly, I was heading up to Mendoza, and I was stopped by to visit an old friend, and... I found the town in the state I found it in, and now I'm helping her pack up and move out back to, uh, we're both originally from Absalom, so I'm going to see her on the road. I'm a bit more capable than she is, as I can tell all of you are. Who's your friend? Gretchen Ostler is her name. Do you know her? Maybe. I don't know who I know and who I don't. That's a ridiculous way to respond to that question. Drink! She drinks. All right. I drink. <laughs> Johnny, Roni is spotting one guy sitting at the bar by himself in a newsboy cap and an old beaten leather vest that does seem to be trying to avoid notice that he's looking at you specifically. You know, he keeps glancing out the side of his eye and you keep catching him. He doesn't know that you've spotted him, but he's giving you a particular particular look. Okay. Like a uh, like he that he's trying to like hot squeeze himself down and not be seen. No, more like he's tracking what you're doing. Like he's paying particular attention to you, but not trying to either hide from you or get your attention. Got it. You've just you've interested him. Got it. Okay. So you don't know anything about who you know. What you up to? What about you? And she leans leans very close to you, Ray. I don't know anything either. Oh, come on. You're pulling my leg! What is this? What's going on? When did you get to town? Gosh, a week ago? Was uh, the earthquake already happened then? Yes, yes, I've, I've heard about it from Gretchen. Uh, and she's, she has a, she's a weaver. She has a lot to, a lot of, a lot of commissions to finish up, a lot to pack up and settle, settle to, see to settling. So um, as far as I know, we're leaving the next few days. But um, I'm mostly killing time with my uh, <laughs> with my good fortune here. She packs a very obviously full purse. And my money goes a very long way in this town, doesn't it? You might want to be careful. It might go not as far as you want, depending on who runs into you on the street at night. I can take care of myself. Well, you do have that air about you. I yes, I should. I should. Can you take care of yourself? I'm friends with the constable. I'm fine. Look... I know the constable's a woman, so you can't think that you can pull the wool over my eyes like this. No one mentioned who the constable before her was. Excuse me, everybody. Is this the constable? There's a whole bunch of, like, downcast mutterings of... Answer the man! I don't... I don't don't know. You know what? I don't know anymore. Barrow is the con- no, no, that's that's constable Riptos. Barrow, Barrow one's main constable. There's, they're, they're genuinely arguing amongst themselves now. As you can see, last there is a bit of confusion going around town about any number of things. <laughs> I see that to be the case. You aren't behind the disappearances, are you? I won't tell anybody. Just between, just a, a girl and her friends. Are you kidnapping people? No, we just arrived back. 
We came to Thrushmore yesterday and just learned of these disappearances. We're working with Cassadia Rents over at the Sleepless Agency to investigate no rec- no recognition. what's going on here. Maybe mm. she's maybe the word sleepless agency perks her ears up. Yeah. Sounds no. boring to her. Just... Okay. <laughs> we kill we did kill a witch today. Oh, you're the ones that killed the witch. Yeah. Oh. Tell me the story. Whoop drink. <laughs> oh, we tell her this I'll tell her the story of the witch. She very deeply gets into it. And when it's all done, she does look very close, each of you very closely in the eyes and says, look, before I leave town, if there's any of this kind of work that needs doing, I might be for hire. Look, Gretchen's seen to her affairs and I'm mostly drinking the fucking days away. And I would much rather be doing something, (laughs) something interesting. I'm just saying, my skills are at your disposal, should you need them. And what's your name again? Reese. Nice to meet you, Reese. I'm Ray. Very nice to meet you, Ray. I have a picture of Reese. Hmm. Hmm. Lovely lass. Well, now I don't know what to believe. <laughs> you were convinced that was Katie's character. I was pretty character. convinced that that was Katie's character. So was I. It's like, oh, magically, here's someone in adventuring gear who just happens <laughs> to be at, be the, at the barn. Hmm. Available for hire. Uh, I should I uh, should know better than to expect such a hack-fisted character introduction than you meet her at the tavern from you. But <laughs> I, I confess that is where my brain was. Okay, okay. Oh, a sense motive check is probably a good idea. Sure. Here somewhere, right? Everybody go ahead. What do we get? Grip. Eight, 18. Oh, smell grip. <laughs> Ray? No. Don't smell grip. 16. Faroni, okay. Eight. All right, yeah. Ray's completely taken in. You're not getting any vibes. She seems... I mean, if you're like, if you're As like, advertised. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As advertised. <laughs> Maybe a little um, little chaotic, a little, uh, little fancy-free, a little um, uh, unconcerned for her own personal uh, safety and security, but it might also be because she seems quite capable. A like, bored adventurer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was I was going to tell her, well, you know, if, if an opening comes up in the party, maybe we'll come back to find you. But, <laughs> but maybe we don't need to have an opening. <laughs> Reese, uh, you got a story for us? Got a tale of adventure for us? I do. And she tells a story of a period of time that she spent in Absalom hunting down a cult a cult of folks that were involved with the worship of some sort of demon lord I didn't pay too much attention to who, who cares yeah, some, some demon well, or whatever and they were kidnapping people in a corner of, of Absalom where nobody was paying attention to this and uh, she joined a party she was hired into a party you kind of get the sense of like maybe she doesn't do a lot of instigating choices of missions on her own and likes to follow what seems fun or what seems interesting. So she got tangled up with a party of three other folks uh, who went and took on this cult in the sewers of Absalom. And uh, they managed to save most of the people 
and take down this cult, and they earned a fair bit of scratch. And she probably goes into detail about how much money hmm. she walked away with from this particular adventure and uh, seems particularly proud of it. Impressive. Mm. Very impressive. I know, I know, I know. I've also fought lots of beasts and whatnot, but I know, looking at you, I know you know what I mean. <laughs> Drink! <laughs> wow, that's, that's a lot of shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's, she's holding her own just fine. Just fine. Almost as though she has an immunity to poison at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Could be. So that conversation with, with Reese passes. And um, anything you want to do about this particular guy right now, Johnny? Or you want to check with him later? No, I'm going to, I'm gonna like, as we're leaving, mm-hmm. like, when, we, when it seems like we're about to leave, yeah. I'm going to go, uh, I got to hit the uh, stalls. <laughs> okay. And then when I come back, I'm going to sidle up right next to him. He very deliberately stares forward and doesn't turn to look at you. This is starting to become a pretty familiar gesture. Like, you clearly trained people never to make eye contact with you. So he just, he, you, he, see, he sees that you're coming. You sit next to him. He looks forward and he says, How was the weather? Oh, you know, rainy. He turns his head in surprise and looks you in the eyes. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Sense motive? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm guessing this is, this is uh, an attempt to pass some kind of, I've got to do a password or something like that. 19. It's a great guess. He, he asked you a question and you did not give the correct password pretty much what you suss from his response. But I'd like to hear about the weather from you anyways. Wow, wow, you know, it's kind of uh, blustery and been a lot of rain lately. Fog's really pouring in off the the lake. Who are you? I'm sorry, who are you? That's not what I'm asking. Look, I don't know you, but if, let's say, let's say... I knew something about you. And let's say I knew that you knew dangerous people. And uh, if you knew dangerous people who told you very specific instructions, um, and you were scared of them and you knew they could kill you, I trust that someone like yourself would, would, would probably obey those instructions. <laughs> I just mentioned that as a, as, as a matter of you know, no reason. No reason. But <laughs> I'm going to... I think I'm going to... I think I'm just going to have my drink here, sir. And then he breaks eye contact. He's seeming to want to end this conversation, but he's feeling you staring at him. You can get this sense of like, he wants more than anything to leave, but he also knows he can't. So he's trying to pretend like the conversation is over, but he's, he's still sitting there. Emin. Yes. Can you get my friend here? What's your name, friend? Keldrin. Keldrin. Can you get my friend here a drink? All right. Another one, Keldrin? Yes. So, Evan pours him another beer. Here's a picture of Keldrin Mon. Put together. Short beard. A little, little sleazy looking, but not too sleazy looking. Just a little. Nice kind of newsboy cap there going on. 
He's in his uh, mid-twenties. How's your drink? Uh, it's great, thank you very much. I appreciate the money that you spent on me, stranger. You know, it's, it's certainly worthwhile to, uh, to buy a friend a drink. It is, it is. Much rather have a friend than an enemy. I want to know what you were going to tell me if I gave you the right code. Are we inside? Like, are we seeing any of this happen? Yeah, I think it's so that you, that maybe the two of you are wrapping up with Reese. You'd been heading towards the door, and Roni is having this little exchange there. So you can see, Roni can see that these two see this. Are you giving them, like, a come join me or a stay out of it? I'm, kind of? I'm giving them kind of, like, just keep your distance. Okay. takes the beer, and he chugs it. Just in case that's the last one. Pier 19. May I go? Yeah, you can go. Uh, he leaves in a fucking hurry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Reese, toodaloo's you. Toodaloo. Toodles. You head back to the ship? Yeah. I. And we'll wrap up. What is it? What day is it, Katie? 12? 12. 12 of the campaign. Uh, as you sleep overnight, you will all level. Let's share a little bit about what oh. we get at this level. Who wants to kick off? My sheet's up. Robert, kick us off. Um, fifth level is kind of fun. So uh, I really crapped out on my hit point roll. I only rolled a three, uh, which oh. which means I got eight. So uh, I'm up to I'm up to 52 hit points at fifth Holy level. Holy <laughs> The uh, the cool things, uh, so uh, fifth level, everyone gets a feat. I get two feats because brawlers get a fifth level bonus combat oh, feat. Nice. So for my fifth level feat, I took improved grapple. Yep. Um, and for my brawler feat, I got dodge. So I get a little a plus one to the uh, armor class, but dodge is a prereq for any number of feats, as is improved grapple. So my count of available feats to choose from is now up to 72. <laughs> wow. 72? Yes. Those are the ones I meet all the prereqs for uh, without taking anything. Wow. And we have decided as a group, thanks to Johnny's suggestion, that as a free feat, we're going to give every, every uh, PC in this campaign, we're going to give them the signature skill feat, which is a, it's an optional rule out of the, I think it was out of the Pathfinder Unchained, where basically uh, for one certain skill, it'll give them access to special little things that only they can do with this skill. And what uh, what f- skill did you choose, Robert? Well, I, I don't have many to choose from. I didn't think you did. Um, but uh, Intimidate. Excellent. And what does what is the signature skill unlock for Intimidate at that level? Um, so if I exceed my DC to demoralize a target by at least 10, it is frightened for run one round mm-hmm. and shaken thereafter. Oh, fantastic. Oh, great. So that's okay. fun. Um, and then a uh, couple of new class features, Brawler's Strike. So my unarmed strikes now count as magic weapons for oh, penetrating nice. damage yeah. reduction. Nice. And that will add things as I level up. And then Close Weapon Mastery. So if I'm using a close weapon, and that's a very specific... It is. Like a dagger isn't a close weapon, right? But a punch dagger is. But so if I'm using a close weapon... I use my unarmed strike 
at, that it was at first level instead of the base damage for that weapon. So a fifth level brawler wielding a punch dagger would deal 1d6 instead of the weapon's 1d4. Nice. Great. So, awesome. Um, and that, I think, was it. Cool. What about uh, what about Ray? Yeah, I'll go next. Um, <laughs> so Ray maxed his yeah. hit point roll, which is <laughs> awesome. So he's totally stoked to level. A uh, new thing from Ray's curse, this mystery of life, is that Ray is now immune to the sickened condition. Nice. Wow. That's so Which is a big great. one for this awesome. campaign. Uh, he picked up a new first level spell and a new second level spell. The new first level spells remove fear. Mm-hmm. New second level spell we're going to just hold on to for a minute, but I will tell you that when we were in Jane's cave, Ray picked something up off the table that looks kind of like a, almost like a voodoo doll made out of bones. Mm-hmm. He's kind of carrying that around with him. Um, <laughs> Not creepy at all. Ray's amount of damage healed or delivered by channel positive energy went up to 3d6. Yeah. Wow. And that's great because the feat that Ray chose is called purifying channel, which means yes. that when I select selectively channel for positive energy to heal my friends, anyone that I, well, one being that I... Uh, Exclude. exclude from that channel bursts into flames it takes the <laughs> same amount of damage that uh, I heal and they are dazzled by the light of that flame so for cool. one round the greatest oh my if God. they so don't make great. the save if they make the save they aren't dazzled and they take half damage that's awesome awesome fantastic so, so literally then every time you heal us up in combat you can also make someone like yep. burst into flame yep, yep. Oh, that's awesome pretty sweet and what'd you take for your signature skill Oh, my signature skill, I was really looking at Intimidate as well because it's something that Ray has high <laughs> ranks in already. But I chose Knowledge Religion. Mm-hmm. Um, as what's a the five rank ability unlock. for that? The five rank is I get an additional piece of information for every five ranks I possess. Great. That. Fantastic. Yeah. That's A little awesome. bump up on information yeah. known about undead and so forth. Yeah. Uh, who wants to go next? I'll go. Great. Uh, oh, man. This is a huge huge, huge uh, yeah. uh, level for me because it's my fourth level of investigator. So I'm now actually where I should have been last time, uh, aside from the fact that I had took that level of gunslinger. I got uh, six more hit points, so not quite max, but pretty close. Yeah, uh, Put me at 38 hit points right now, which is not too shabby. Um, uh, and then I got uh, a whole bunch of additional <laughs> abilities um, this is the level that finally the uh, investigator sort of comes online in terms of being able to actually do damage. I got a thing called studied combat. So basically, uh, I can take a move action to study a target, and then I get to add half my investigator level as an insight bonus on attack rolls and on damage rolls yeah. against that creature. And it lasts nice. for uh, three rounds or until I deal damage with a studied strike. Uh, and a studied strike is uh, I can choose to end, in, end my studied combat after I hit someone uh, with a studied strike. I'm sorry, I can end my studied combat uh, to make a studied strike where I add, in addition to the regular studied combat damage, an additional 1d6 damage. So it's kind of like a sneak attack, yeah. but, uh, but a little bit more loosey-goosey. 
and it's fun. Unlike the rogue kind of equivalent, you know, it's a little less damage than the rogue equivalent can do, but you also get the bonus on the attack rolls. So you're 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 really like eyeing your enemies and making yourself uh, and you, fight better against them. You don't have to be flanking. You yep. don't have to be. You don't have. They don't have to be flat-footed. They nope. don't have to do any of those things. Yeah, it's great. Uh, for my feet, I took ranged study pistol so that I can use studied combat using my pistol because otherwise it's only melee. Nice. Uh, yeah. And then I got a new deed called Shot in the Dark Blind Shot. I can spend grit to ignore concealment uh, when making firearm attacks. This is wow. and this is a Steelhound only deed. Nice. No gunslinger can get this. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty huge. Like all those times when you're like, oh, I'm firing into this mist or yeah. whatever, and you yeah. can't see it. You're like, nope, I just line about bang. So that's a... Uh, that's huge. And what it lasts your- till the end of my turn. So right now it's obviously just one shot, but eventually that will be a very, very, very useful thing. And what's your signature skill? Uh, my signature skill, I think hopefully this will be a surprise, I went with heal because I feel like he has really uh, been putting effort into healing and also now remembering his curse on Dr. Vaticus. Hmm. He is trying to take this sort of doctoring thing and turn it into something for his own uses nice. as opposed to something that Dr. Vaticus would use to hurt people. Uh, and the the skill unlock for heal is pretty amazing where you basically uh, you can still do the once a day hour of um, treat, deadly treat deadly wounds but it becomes a lot more damage healed. So he can spend an hour to basically heal you twice your level of hit points and two points of ability score mm. damage in a single hour. Mm. It's a it's an it's a great unlock. So it is definitely also one of those things where Ray, you and I should talk about like if we think that we're getting like there may be times where you may want to break the life bond, knowing that oh this is something that yeah uh, Roni could heal up on his if, own on his own if we take time and stuff like that. Sure. But I obviously that is your own choice, but. There might be times where you're like, I don't want to take another 20 hit points of damage and stuff. Right. I'm going to let everybody, I'm going to let this, if we seem like we're at the end of the day or something like that. Yeah. So. And I assume you got some new formula. Do you want to share those or you want to wait till we get to them coming out? Uh, one of them uh, you and I spoke about because we switched one, mm-hmm. which I, I don't think is that big of a deal. Uh, we exchange long arm for long shot. Okay, where great. It basically uh, increases the range of my uh, firearm attack so that I get a larger range to do um, touch attack. It adds an additional 10 feet. So I went from 20 feet, if I have this on, to 30 feet. That's awesome. Which is really awesome. And then I have one more that I picked up that is going to be a surprise for later. And Katie, tell us about Dora. Dora rolled a two for hit points. Oh. <laughs> so we're all leaping in with our <laughs> massive Robert's hit points. Robert's just totals. chuckling in the darkness <laughs> over there. <laughs> She's 23 now. Um, there's a lot I can't tell you. Oh, okay. Uh, some of it has to do with Tima. Um, but, uh, oh, right, right, right. It did, I remember now. It did, I'll tell you my, my feet because I love it. I want to brag about it because <laughs> it's one that I would... <laughs> never think of taking. Yeah. Um, whole slew of feats called the Spell Focus fleet Feats, which lets a magic user focus on a particular school of magic. Normally, I don't even consider them because it's just a plus one bonus to the DC and 
if you have casters, you're casting from all sorts of schools. I, you know, I don't play specialists and stuff, but, but spell-focused divination actually applies to Dora's mind thrust spells. It makes them harder to resist. So, like yeah. mind thrust as a divination spell is an outlier in the canon of spells because it deals damage and is also divination. Mm-hmm. Um, and psych- also, so are you like your detect thoughts? And yeah. Yes, so, it's, uh, it's so this really applies well to her uh, her thing and leads to other feats that will make life more interesting later on. Yeah, you don't you, you aren't approaching this character as though she were a specialist, but your choices have ended up being yeah. fairly specialized. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's great. Um, she gets two new spells. She gets a new first level and a new second level, and I'm not going to tell you what either one of them are until she casts them in combat. Um, Tima gets stronger both offensively and defensively at this level, but again, I'm not going to tell you how until we see her uh, showing off. And I, I think the only other thing that I can tell you is my signature skill, signature skill right? Because uh, everything else is basic. Um, I went with sense motive. I didn't have a ton of great options. The ways I use knowledge skills are all, the ways I use my skills are all about those skill unlocks. I have specifically put skills in those ranks to funnel, to fuel my occult skill unlocks. So this is a nice bonus thing for me, but my skill unlocks are different than the stuff you guys have access to. So this is just like a extra. Um, I wasn't thrilled about the diplomacy options. I, I wasn't thrilled about the knowledge options. For for me, I don't make a ton of checks to identify. I'm never going to make a history check to identify a creature. Like uh, I thought about knowledge planes, mm-hmm. since we're now dealing with Elder Gods, um, but decided not to go that way. I went with sense motive. It was, it was between sense motive and perception. I was sure somebody else was going to bring perception. So. <laughs> but sense motive made more sense to me as based on what she does. So her first, the first uh, five ranks, um, it basically, if she succeeds on a sense motive check against a DC based on either a flat 15 or the highest bluff check of the opponents, um, whichever's higher, if she beats that, she gets a bonus to her initiative. That's great. For that fight, if she's aware of them at the top of the fight. Um, and Potentially the adding is, to her initiative role every combat as long as she's aware yeah. that the people that she's fighting. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so we sleep overnight. We'll take care of disease checks and all that good stuff in the morning. Uh, overnight, you dream. You all dream. And you dream the same dream, because now your dreams are of God and for God. I hate this so much. And you dream God's dreams. And God, Jamandor, dreams your dreams. You're all inside it now. The mind of God. You are holy. You know the inmost blot. And it knows you. What you experience is nearly impossible to describe, both because it's nearly impossible for you, the four of you, to comprehend, but also because it's new, it's it's thin, it's faint. The seed has only just hatched. We're only at the beginning of your great transformation. And neither a living mind nor a sane mind can fully comprehend what it sees inside the mind of God. And this, this is your life now. Touching Jamandor's dreams, dreaming its dreams, dreaming the dreams of everyone and everything that ever died on a world the inmost blot 
dragged kicking, screaming, festering, and rotting into the sewers of Carcosa, the playground and prison of the King in Yellow. So many dead souls dream inside God's dream, and they will forever, for that is not truly dead, which eternally lies within the dreams of the star seed. And tonight you dream of many incomprehensible things, as you will most nights, likely, for the rest of your miserable, wasted lives. And we won't always have time or reason to touch on those dreams every single day, but just know, just know that they are now part of the rich and dark tapestry of Dora's and Grip's and Ray's and Roni's lives. But tonight let's mention a dream in brief. You dream the dreams of giant cephalopods that died eons ago. They died on a rare world Jamandor actually failed to excrete into the bowels of Carcosa, but their world died regardless. You see, an experiment was attempted. The name of God was put into writing and distributed to the children of the giant cephalopods. And the name of God spread like wildfire. Each child read the name and experienced the dread and irrevocable consequences. And they took what they'd read to a friend or a sibling to ask what it meant. To ask, had it done something wrong? Was it in trouble? And on and on it went until the name reached the parents. Now the parents, these giant cephalopods, they were wiser and stronger. They figured out what they faced. And they stopped the spread. They burned the writing. But the damage had been done. Before they went irrevocably insane, those that knew the name murdered their children, all of them, so that they could no longer feed the star seed. And then they murdered everyone left who'd not yet heard or read the name. And then they saved themselves and saved their world by engulfing it in an arcane conflagration designed to eliminate, eliminate any trace of hair or moss or fungus or fiber or bone or blot that might contain the consciousness of Jamandor. But they failed to understand that just as they dreamed God's dreams, God dreamed their dreams. And it launched a microscopic fleck of its essence into the vastness of space, just as their world burned. And it flew into the darkness for ages until it found a gravity well and life and consciousness. And so it began Haster's harvest anew. For we all serve the shepherd, all of us, even God. And until the entire flock has been gathered and slaughtered, the good work never stops. Praise. That's the end of chapter 44. Uh, See you next time. In his house at Rally Dead Cthulhu. <laughs> Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. 
Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E.com. Opening and closing themes along with additional music composed by Rob Kozlarek. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. WTPK. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Two tags. Season good. two tag. <laughs>